Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. This series is called Together um, that we're in. And uh, for some of you, maybe the word together, I mean, I actually kind of feel this even though I sort of came up with the name. It's sort of cheesy, right? The idea of together, it's sort of something you think you'd hear in church, or maybe it uh, brings to mind sort of we are the world, uh, if you were born before 1984, or all we are saying is give peace a chance if you were born before 1969, um, right? These sentiments of, oh, can't we all just get along? And maybe we could be, be forgiven a little bit if we're cynical about the idea of together, because it seems like in many ways we are living in a world that is more conflicted than ever. Um, and maybe you could think about um, global conflicts, terrorist conflicts, and things like that that we say, oh yeah, there's so much war, there's so much conflict, there's so much fighting. Um, but we might actually think about that. We know actually if, you, if you're on social media at all, or if you ever sort of read um, you know, a blog or an article and you scroll down to see the comments underneath or on a YouTube video, man, it's angry. People are angry. There's lots of just angry stuff that we say to each other, or a few comments, and then one person says something really strong, and then boom, explosion of words, cussing, like, and it just seems like everybody's kind of right at that edge that you bump them once, or you cut them off once, or whatever it is, and suddenly the explosion of vitriol, of anger, of frustration, of conflict comes out. Um, and even um, uh, in our entertainment, like Game of Thrones, HBO's uh, like smash, smash hit series is the most... I think it's most watched HBO show ever, most illegally downloaded. Uh, some of you are like, what's an illegal download? <laughs> it's another sermon. Most illegally downloaded show ever, and it is by far their bloodiest work ever to date. And so not only are we surrounded sort of by global conflict, what we read about in the news, what we see on social media, what we experience even just in the day-to-day interactions, perhaps with our neighbor or the person we're driving next to or whatever, but just even in our entertainment, blood, conflict, war, fighting is the norm. And maybe closer to home, we think about our own experiences. Maybe our own, you know, Thanksgiving dinner that's coming up. Or maybe from the church that you were in or your religious tradition or whatever, what you experienced was conflict and fighting. And so this idea of together seems a little bit unreal, unattainable. And that's why we're maybe cynical about it. But I believe in our day and our time now more than ever, we need to actually know what together really means. The good news is that if you read the scriptures, Conflict isn't new, and together wasn't our idea in the first place. Conflict isn't new, and together actually wasn't our idea to begin with. If you read the story of Scripture, what you will find is these two threads all the way through. Conflict, fighting, war, racism, rioting, tensions, both in the family and in the nations and in a cosmic level. And yet all the way through this thread, God actually being the author of saying, we are going to bring this back together. When we talk about together, we're talking about the community of the people of God, the church. That this is actually about realizing that if we don't understand actually what our hope for together is, 
we will slide either into hopelessness in a culture like this or apathy where we just don't care anymore. So my prayer for you through this series, even coming in today, is that somehow you will be able to experience and grasp what does it mean to actually be together? What is this vision that God has for community and unity that, in a sense, each of us long for in in big and small ways in our hearts? And that maybe we could suspend our cynicism and suspend our doubt and say, okay, how does this actually work? The conflict isn't new, but together wasn't our idea to begin with. It's actually something that God has been trying to do all the way along. If you read uh, in the book of Ephesians, which is kind of our map for today, um, Paul is talking to a relatively new church. And he begins to talk to them because in this church, there are two groups of people that at first, as we kind of think about what their conflict was, we would think, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. But actually, in it is a window into our own lives and our own culture and our own families. See, in this, in this new church, see, Jesus was a Jew. Um, and as people began to realize that Jesus was actually God in the flesh and that he was the Lord and the Savior of all, the things that we've been singing about, many Jews began to believe and say, oh, we've actually been looking for this promised solution to the conflict and all the issues we have. And so they've become to believe. But then you actually have all these, a host of other people that they call Gentiles, which are basically non-Jews, which is probably most of us in the room, who hadn't been thinking about a Messiah or whatever, but were also living in the same world that they were also realizing they needed a savior, they needed a solution, they need someone to rescue them. And they started to believe that Jesus was Lord too. And so now you got all these people coming together in this church but this, uh, this is the problem with the, with the way the church was. And I'm going to read, I can find it on my phone here. <clears throat> Just got a text from Rogers about my data, so this is not good. <laughs> not good. Here we go. Um, all right, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles... By birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now, it's kind of, you might say, why do they call themselves the circumcision? Is this just like mean Bible names or whatever? It sounds like a weird name for like a metal band, right? Ever the circumcision? Uh, what's. <laughs> Basically, you know, circumcision was this sign of separateness that God's people sort of had and everybody else didn't. So think of it as a, as a way that was an identity marker. It was a way that separated two groups of people. And there was this conflict between Jews and Gentiles in the sense that the Jews, basically, if you were a Gentile, this is how the Jews saw you. And I put a couple of lines up there just to bring it home for us. If you were a Gentile, it meant that the Jews saw you as someone who didn't deserve the grace of God. As someone who was unclean, like you did things and you ate things and you had practices and rhythms of your life that Jewish people would say was sort of that made you unclean. Kind of not like me in a sense. You're sort of a foreigner to me. Not only do you, maybe I don't think you deserve the grace of God and not only do you kind of do things that I think are wrong or unclean, um, but I also just feel like I'm, I'm not like you. I'm not from the same ethnic group. I'm not from the same tribe. I'm not from the same family and all that stuff. And then in many cases, some of the Gentiles they knew were their enemies. Some of the Gentiles they knew were the Romans who occupied the territory they were in because at this time in history, Israel was under Roman rule. And so the Romans, you know, had a heavy tax, 90 to 95% was their tax, heavy tax. And they ruled with an iron fist. A few years before, they would have crucified hundreds and hundreds of 
people who had revolted against him had lined the main streets with their crucified bodies just to say, this is what happens to anyone who defies Rome. And so some of these Gentiles, they would have hated. Okay? Now, they're in church together. Those who they thought didn't deserve the grace of God were kind of unclean, were sort of just not like them, and in some cases who had hurt them or hurt their families or hurt people they knew, and now they're in church together. And so this is what Paul's saying. Hey, we understand, I understand the conflict that you feel in this community. And, and we sort of go, still foreign to us, but just put yourselves in their shoes. Put yourselves in their shoes that you're coming to a place of worship with God with, with a Roman centurion, someone who represents everything that you hate about the life that you have and the world that you're in and the reason your parents are poor and the reason your uncle lost his land and the reason your cousin was killed in a riot. And you're at church with them together. And so Paul's going, look, I get there's tension here. And the Gentiles are coming and sort of going, oh, we're not really sure how we feel. And Jews are saying, I don't, I'm really sure that these people should be worshiping God. There's tension, conflict in the church. But then Paul says this, look at what Jesus has done. And he puts all these words, and I, I won't read the whole thing for you, but look at Christ Jesus has destroyed, he says, the barrier of hostility that separated you. He says that Jesus has actually taken you two groups and created one new humanity. He has destroyed the walls that separated you and created one new humanity. Instead, in fact, by his death, he has put to death hostility. Hostility. A word that they would have understood, even if it was just passive, like I don't really know you, so I'm just, you're a little bit foreign to me, or I actually hate you. He's put to death hostility, and it says Jesus has come and preached peace, a loaded word for them in a time and a culture where war was just a regular part of life. Jesus has preached peace. We're not talking about mm, peace. We're talking about peace. No more fighting. No more war. And there he says, therefore, you're no longer foreigners and strangers to each other. You two groups are now one new humanity. And he says this, you are members together of one family. As Tony reminded us, God's family. Incredible. He says, look, I know, I understand this is who you were. You had all kinds of reasons to be at odds with each other. Because one group thought the other group didn't deserve the grace of God, or you thought they did things that made a mess of their lives. You thought that they were just not like you and you didn't really relate to them, or in fact, they may have done things to hurt you as enemies. And Paul says, yeah, that's who you were, but because of God's grace and what Jesus has done, he has destroyed the walls that have separated you. Man, we need a gospel like this in a culture like ours today, don't we? Where everything that defines us is what separates us what I am, what I'm not, what group I'm part of, what culture I'm from, what country I'm from, what part of the city I'm from, what social class I'm in. Everything is about what defines us and what marks us. And, and Paul says, Jesus has destroyed the barrier. Now we are saying amen, but they would have had a, tr a struggle with this. This would have been strange for some of them and very difficult for others. Right? Like, say, well, why? Like, this is like, a, this is like even better than a Martin Luther King speech. Like, why aren't they like, yeah, yeah, Jesus has done this. Isn't this amazing? But what if I said it to you this way? Hey, church, Jesus has destroyed your inner circle. Eh, what? Jesus has destroyed your inner circle. The boundary that you put around your life. Jesus has torn it down. What do we mean when we talk about an inner circle? We see 
What Paul's talking about is actually not new. If you read the Gospels of Jesus Christ, you could make an argument that one of the main threads, especially through the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which Luke wrote both of those volumes together, that one of the main ideas that Jesus was talking about was about this inner circle that he had an issue with. See, the people in that culture, they had a way of thinking about the world. People, everybody in their world was divided into two categories. And listen to this, because maybe this is true about us as well. Everybody in their, in their world was divided into two categories. There was their inner circle, which is the people that they would look after, care for, try to help, and invest in, right? Like, these are the people I'm going to look after them. I might go out of my way for them. I'll probably sacrifice for them. I'll do things that I wouldn't do for other people. I'm going to, do, I'm going to go the extra mile for this group. This is my inner circle. And in that circle is family, like friends, and people who are like me who are from my cultural group, who are from my ethnic group, or people that I can relate to easily. And then everybody else is outside the circle. And in Jesus' world, the people outside that circle were sinners, like people who did stuff that you just shouldn't do, and you made a mess of your life. They were Gentiles. They were enemies. They were foreigners. That's who was outside the circle. And they had a rule for people outside the circle. You know what that rule was? Do unto others what they have done to you. It was reciprocity. Whatever you've done to me, that's how I'm going to treat you. Inside the circle, I'll look after. We look after our own. We do what we need to do for each other. And, and, but outside, well, whatever you've done to me is what I'm going to do to you. This was the world they lived in. Not much different than ours. But that was that world. And if you look at everything, almost everything Jesus taught, he was getting at this issue. He was trying to break down their inner circle. So he redefined family. Right? There's this one scene where um, Jesus is teaching and his, his mother and, and brothers are outside and the house is crowded and he can't get to the, they can't get to the front to see him. And someone says, hey, Jesus, your mother and brothers are here. A good, near eastern, uh, upstanding young man whose father had passed away probably by then, would say, oh, where are they? I'm going to go find my mother. I'm going to bring them in. And you know what he says? Actually, you know what? Anyone who does the will of my father is my, my mother and brother. Like, we think, well, that's strange. In the, in the Near Eastern mindset, that's like, what? That is dishonoring your family. He says, no, I want you to think about family differently. He was busting their circle of who they said they would look after and who they would go out of their way for and who they would protect and who they would invest in. He redefined family. He redefined who your friend is, right? Who your neighbor is. The story of the Good Samaritan was a redefinition of who you see as someone who's in your inner circle. And then he went as far as to say, and by the way, love your He said, no, no, don't do unto others as they have done to you. You all know what he said. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. The golden rule. It didn't sound like gold to them. It was offensive. No, no. If you're in a circle and everybody else, they treat me well, I'll treat them well. If they hate me, I'm going to hate them in return. That's why Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. And the second part, which he didn't say, was, yeah, and you can hate your enemy. That was basically what they said. Love your neighbor, you can hate your enemy. Jesus says, no, I tell you, love your enemy and do good to those who hurt you. What's he getting at? He's getting at this circle. It's too tight. It's too small. 
there is a dividing wall of hostility between who's in your inner circle and the way you see everybody else. And Paul says, Jesus has destroyed that. And quite frankly, none of us want to hear that. They hated him for it. It's one of the reasons they killed him. Because he was upsetting all of the carefully defined social structures of the day, of family, of neighbor, of sinner. They didn't like who he ate with. He said, you can't break bread with people who make a mess of their lives. They didn't like who he said God loved. They didn't like the grace that he was showing because they were saying, God doesn't show grace to those people. Jesus says, yes, he does. In fact, those are the ones he shows grace to first, and the ones who are pointing the finger better wake up. And they didn't like it, and so they killed him. And we don't like it either. Because let's be honest, this inner circle is what fuels ISIS. ISIS, they say, is a purist movement. Only this, everything else doesn't belong. (laughs) But the inner circle fuels ISIS just like it fuels gossip and bullying in the high school cafeteria. Only this. Nobody else. The inner circle is what fuels conflict, tribal conflict in Africa, and it's what fuels splits in churches. So let's just stop judging what's going on out there and realize, wait, all of us have an inner circle, and Jesus has come to destroy that wall, and we don't like it. Because everything in us, we just think this way. We have a gravitational pull to keep it defined and keep it small. You know what? Because I don't have enough time to help you. I got my own family to deal with. And you know what? I'm not sure I want to get close to the mess you're in because I might get sucked into that mess. And by the way, I'm not really going to help you because of what you said to me, and I can't really go out of my way because of how you've treated me. Right? It's how we see the world. I'm too busy to help people who aren't my family. I'm too scared to get into the mess of people who are messy. I'm too angry to help people who have hurt me. So I'm just going to deal with my inner circle. And Jesus has come, Paul said, to destroy that wall. He says the church is a different kind of community. In fact, he says, he says it so strongly. He says to create a new humanity. What do we got up there? Okay. This is what actually keeps us away from each other in community. Think about this. Right there, and, and there's, two, there's two ledgers there. There's two sides on either side of that wall. And some of us gravitate to one side and some of us gravitate to the other. See, some of us see other people and say, well, you know what, they don't deserve God's grace. Maybe they don't say it out loud, but that's how we feel. That's how we look at them. Or we see other people and we think, you know what, they're too messy. Or we just see other people and say, oh, I, don't really, I don't really relate to them. I don't really connect to them. You know, I don't really get along. They're just foreign. I don't, I don't get it. Or you know what, they've hurt me. And then there are others of us who come in and go, you know what, I don't deserve God's grace. And, and I'm messed up. And I'm different. And I've hurt other people. And these two ways of thinking, right, don't they repel us? Isn't that why we move apart from each other? One of both of those things, and sometimes we're on one side and sometimes we're on the other, depending on where we're at in life, work, community. These things work to drive us apart from each other. They work against us in community, which is why Paul says Jesus has come to destroy the wall of hostility that separates us. But here's the thing. This way of thinking will never change in your mind and heart unless you realize this. 
unless I realized this, that I myself was a foreigner outside of the family of God. And God sent his own son, and through his death, he has destroyed the walls that separated me from him. And he has brought me into his household, and he has said, you are forgiven, you are loved, you are mine, you are worth the blood of my son. When we begin to understand who we really were and who we are, then it's hard for us to see the walls and put up walls between us and other people. Then we start to say, wait, if God in his mercy has gone to the greatest extent to tear down the walls that separated me from him, <laughs> then now I am made one, a whole new humanity. I now see everyone differently. You get it? When we start to get the grace of God to us, that though we were sinners, Christ died for us, though we do so many things to push God away and run from him and question him and wonder whether he exists and all this stuff, and he says, don't worry, I'm big enough to deal with your doubts. I always say to people, God has a chest big enough to beat on and say, I'm not sure you are who you say you are. When we begin to realize what he has done for us, the walls begin to come down and we redefine, wait a second, what our inner circle actually looks like. Many of you are, are in home groups in this church, and in a couple of weeks we're launching them again. Some of you are actually you know, going to Alpha um, in our church in Bolton. You guys are going to be watching this as well. You guys do home groups as well. And the reason we do that is because, you know, church is about rows, right? But it's also about circles. And circles are really important, actually, because our whole lives function actually in circles. And church actually is more about circles than it is about rows. And so we need a place, a community where we come into where it's not defined by how much money we make, by, by how well we're doing at work or if we can't find work. It's not defined by how well put together our family life is or not. It's not defined by the things we've done in life or what our religious background is or church background is or anything. And in fact, in our church, we do home groups not based on affinity or age group, but just geography because we actually believe we just need to be thrown together in a room with a whole bunch of people who are different from us and Jesus in the center, and he's going to teach us about what community really is. So that we begin to model and see and experience what this one new humanity is actually meant to look like. I want to ask just a couple of people to come up, and, and I have a couple questions for them, um, because I want you to tell them to tell you about their experience coming into a church, right, with Rose, but then entering into a circle. And so John and Michelle, you've seen them up here leading worship, and they're so gracious to serve us that way, but um, today I'm actually going to do a little interview with them. Come on, don't be afraid. Yeah. So uh, I guess first question for you guys, uh, um, it's, it's not easy to come to a new church. Yeah. I mean, and some people just find it not easy to come to church at all. Um, a new community. And so what reservations or challenges did you have when you first came to Upper Room? Yeah, um, I think everybody's challenge will be a little bit different based on where they're, where they're coming from, what their expectations are, what their view of church was. And for us, uh, like I grew up in a very culturally centered church and so did my wife. Uh, my parents are Indonesian and her parents are from Hong Kong. And so she went to a Chinese church, I went to an Indonesian church and stuff. And so one of the things that we want to keep in mind coming to Upper Room is that like it's a very multicultural church, you know. So 
it's a place here where you're not really you don't identify by your skin color where your parents are from and so that was I don't know if that was a challenge but more so something we just had to get used to and um, it's been amazing um, I guess an actual challenge uh, I guess uh, we're used to having sanctuaries and places where we can kind of linger afterwards and have conducive uh, conversations here it's it's like a theater style and so it's you're, you find yourself in like a sea of people after service and like uh, people just trying to leave people trying to clean up and <laughs> Sometimes like I have to take a number to talk to VJ. Tony. <laughs> <laughs> so that that that's been a challenge, and um, I, I guess that's that goes with any any new big place or crowd that you're trying to integrate into. So yeah. yeah. So um, how did joining a home group affect the way that you felt part of community? Okay. Um, joining a home group was huge for like me personally um, because of just like the way that I'm wired, my personality. Um, big groups of people and doing stuff like this is <laughs> not comfortable. Um, but being put in a smaller um, setting with like people you can actually see um, and get to know um, just helped me feel like I was making connections and building relationships. Um, it made me more comfortable to kind of just be myself. Um, our very first home group, like I wept. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And I'm right now. Um, and uh, I think it just goes to show um, the care whew, that our home group leaders have for us. It was like our first time really meeting them, um, but it was really just felt. Um, and uh, it was as simple as, um, so what is on your heart lately? And then I started rambling off about my students and like how, um, just like hearing stories from them and how they don't have anybody. And I was like, man, I really want that like for them and I want them to know Jesus. And all of a sudden I'm just weeping. Um, and all from one question um, that a home group leader that really cares about me. Um, and then all of a sudden like I'm out there and I'm like, well, hey guys, it's nice to meet you, but I'm, I'm weeping and you should probably get used to that. And John's rolling his eyes because he's like, yeah, that, that's her. Um, and that's not normal for me. And like this kind of open sharing isn't normal for me. And, um, you know, we're, we've been here like a year maybe. And uh, normal me would probably just piece together something nice, like written down on a piece of paper and read it to you. But like, this is just me spilling my guts on a Sunday morning. Um, and home groups just really did it for me and made me feel comfortable to just be me. John, what about you? Like, how has home groups helped you experience God's love? Because I think that's yeah. really yeah. what we're saying. It's not about a social club or whatever, Absolutely. although we love yeah. hanging out together, but it's like actually experience love, like you said. How about for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I really believe God brings brings you where you need to be when he needs you to be there, you know? And so I think just seeing the home group put together, um, we really believe God is sovereign in choosing the people in the home group. Uh, and bringing us to that specific home group. And so I think um, there are just some times when we go to home group and it's as if there's like something waiting for us there, you know? Like, not even the, the home group leader, but like somebody's just sharing about their week and they just say something and then like, wow, I just need to hear that, you know? Or somebody prays something over us, we're like, we just really needed that. And so it's really cool experiencing God's love uh, through his sovereignty and just, yeah, being like, you know, this is where you need to be, John, and yeah. That's it, yeah. Um, and maybe last question, how has the differences of others oh. um, in your group 
uh, impacted your lives and your faith in Jesus? Yeah, I mean, our group is like a whole mixed bag of people. Like, we have people of different ages, uh, life stages, um, geographical areas where they were brought up. And so it's been really, really cool just to see just how different opinions and paradigms and how they, they see things, like how that really stretches you and your, your picture of, of the church and, like, the body and all these things we hear on Sunday. Uh, it's really cool that home group is a place where you see that all play out. And even, like, even the way people pray, like, between every single home group member, it's so different. You know, and so another one last cool thing is we get insight into like, for example, like one of our members is like a, a university student studying journalism, trying to make Jesus real at school and stuff. And like we would never get that insight, you know, but at home group, we kind of get that insight into people's lives and we can pray into that. And it's really cool to be a part of. Yeah. Thank uh, you so much. want to encourage you with that as you're thinking about, God, where are you at work in my life? Um, and how are you working to bring together the things that you're doing in my life? And maybe getting into a circle is actually what I really need this fall. Or maybe you know people in your life who really need a circle. Um, and their perception of God and church is really sort of about rows or spectating or whatever, um, that you'd be able to, to get into that, whether it's in our home groups or in Alpha. I want to encourage you with that. But I guess what I want to leave you with uh, is you think, okay, like this whole idea of Jesus coming to destroy our inner circle and actually disrupt the ways that we see our carefully kind of constructed community is scary, right? Uh, and I was talking to our, um, our day camp kids about this this year, and I just said, okay, look, here's, here's just one thing to do. Just pray this prayer. Jesus, just make my circle bigger. Just make it bigger. Like sometimes it's the idea of like, oh, Jesus wants to destroy me. No, he doesn't want to destroy you. He wants to love you and build you up, but he knows what's best for you. And so Jesus, help me to make my circle bigger and then do this. Watch for the answer to the prayer. Watch. Pray, Jesus, make my circle bigger because this isn't about loving hundreds and hundreds of new people in your life or whatever, but there's somebody, chances are they're right on the periphery of your life and you don't see them right now. Or they're going to walk in, maybe through your door, Maybe under your street, maybe under your softball team or whatever. We won yesterday, everything, by the way. Um, Greg, sorry you missed it. Um, maybe in your job, maybe in your school, maybe into your family, maybe into your front door. All of a sudden, the answer to the prayer that you're praying, Jesus, make my circle bigger. Open your eyes and look for the answer. Um, Craig Van Gelder, who wrote the book, um, what is the essence of the church? He said he grew up in a, in a rural farming town in Iowa. And he said there, um, the, the state would hire these extension agents to come and um, show the farmers new methods of farming. And he said, of course, if you know farmers and people who've been doing it for decades and decades, they're like, we don't need anything new. So nobody would buy anything. Nobody would buy new, new technologies, new implements. Nobody would change the way they were doing it. So what these extension agents would do is like near the main road of the city, of the town, they would buy an, a plot of land. And it was called the demonstration plot. Everybody could see it, everybody drove by it every day. And there they would use all of the new implements. And of course the farmers would watch during sort of the sowing season and how it began, just the beginning, and then and they'd watch, you know, a little bit of skepticism, well that's not gonna work. And then they'd wait around to harvest, and of course the demonstration plot did better than anybody else's plot, and then they'd buy everything and change. He says the church is God's demonstration plot to the world. Do you get it? We think, what's going to deal with ISIS and what's going to deal with this 
thing in, you know, the, in, in Africa? Or what's going to deal with my extended family? Or what's going to deal? How is this going to change? What's going to happen? How is my spouse or my child or whatever going to like, change? There's so much conflict in our family or in our world or in our church or whatever. God says, hey, the church is a demonstration plot. In that little place, that community, the world gets to see something different. Right? In your life in the circles you are in. And suddenly people began to have a hope in something they didn't even think was possible. You believe it? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the church. And yes, we love that you've saved us. I mean, we're grace junkies. We're so thankful that you forgive us a thousand upon a thousand times. We're so thankful that you love us and that you've made us a part of your family. But Lord, Help us make our circle bigger. Help us actually see that the grace that has been poured out to us is meant to be poured out to others, that we, the church, somehow, in our imperfect yes and fallen ways, will somehow be a visible demonstration of what true community and together and unity looks like to a world around us that is in, in such need of hope, that is being torn apart by racism and rioting and anger and conflict and xenophobia. We actually need a place in a community where people say, wow, look at how they love each other. And so God, bless this church. Bless the home groups that get together this fall. Bless the people that are coming, and even those that have come in for the first time today are thinking, you know what? I need this. Thank you that you are the head of the church. You are the head of this household. We are your children. Thank you for your son, Jesus, that has destroyed the walls that separated us. That's why we pray in his name and we sing to him now. Amen.